Hi, I'm Jerry Maguire, the co-host of Parliamental, a podcast where I talk with Anne McLaughlin, the new SNP MP for Glasgow North East. We're both here in Alexandra Park for a gala day. We're huddled on a bench, loads of people looking at us, someone just took a photograph on their iPad. Um, how are you today, Anne? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm uh, enjoying um, being in the spotlight, not. Uh, I feel a bit conspicuous, but uh, it's nice to be able to sit outside in Glasgow, isn't it? Yeah. Soak up the dry Soak up the dry weather. Soak up the dry. Soak up the dry. Why are we in Alexandra Parade today? Uh, there's a thing called Northeast Festival Days, um, and one of them's on in Alexandra Park today, and tomorrow there's another in Springburn. So uh, I'm just coming along to. I'm going to be joining the community council, Deniston Community Council, and saying hello to people from there. And at the moment, I'm uh, supposed to be helping at the SNP stall, but I think they're managing without me. <laughs> and. What happened in the welfare bill? Uh, I, it was pretty awful. Um, first of all, I intervened three times in the welfare bill because, of course, I've made my maiden speech now, and I can do. Um, so I intervened on a number of things. Um, in the end, we voted against the welfare cuts, obviously, mm-hmm. um, and 48 Labour people voted against the welfare cuts, which was, says a lot for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I spoke to one new Labour MP who told me that they'd made it really tough for them and they'd been called into the Whip's office three times that day, putting a lot of pressure on them to abstain uh, on welf- on Tories' welfare cuts. Don't understand it myself. No. Um, but well done to them for standing up um, to the leadership. But to be honest, you know, for the rest of them, I, I'm just a bit sickened by it all. I mean, Tommy Shepherd said, just to be clear, the Tories had 308 for their welfare bill. If Labour had all voted against government, it would have been defeated. Yeah. Um, so, like you're saying, it's, it's good that 48 Labour MPs stood up against it, but, I mean, the rest of them sort of went missing. Well, when he tweeted that, it was retweeted, I think, one and a half thousand times, which is incredible. And then there were some people from the Labour Party complaining that he's not taking into account pairing systems and <laughs> all the rest of it, which I just think is semantics. I honestly think... You know, when you've got a government being this vicious to the people who have the least, you don't do pairing, you don't do anything, you just get in there and you try your best to stop it happening. They could have stopped it and they chose not to. Yeah, the pairing system's interesting and I can understand that no no bill is unimportant, but for something is key. Yeah, well, the thing is, I mean, they stopped doing that in the Scottish Parliament a number of years ago. Um, but, you know, in Westminster, you can agree to, on this particular bill, we won't do the pairing. So you don't have to do it for everyone, but they did. I saw that the next day members of the SNP took over the front benches of the opposition. <laughs> um, whose idea was that? I think it was Natalie McGarry's. It's a good idea, Natalie. <laughs> it was certainly Natalie who said to me, um, why don't we just... I mean, the point was that we were providing the opposition in that parliament, 56 of us, and we were the ones left to provide the opposition in there. And that was the final day, and a lot of Labour people, a lot of MPs of all parties apart from the SNP, just hadn't turned up. So, um, you know, the opposition benches were quite sparse. Yes. And I'm pretty sure it was Natalie's idea, and she said, "Look, why don't we just go and sit there because we are being the opposition?" So yeah, it was, it, it was, it was quite funny. It was the last day of term. Um, <laughs> we were making an important point, and um, the speaker, I think, wasn't too annoyed. I think he just sort of went along with it. What did it feel like to be in the front benches of the opposition? Did it feel um, exciting to be there? Not really. No. <laughs> there's no it didn't look like there's many people in in the last day that you've seen, I think. Mm. Um, it felt like everyone was playing to play Connect Four at it and bringing <laughs> videos. Yeah. Well, I mean, some of the 
uh, staff will not identify what role they do, but some of the staff were saying, you know, some of them have even flown away on their holidays as far as we know. So I just think, you know, it's a bit disrespectful and they should have been there. And, you know, if we can do it, then they should be there to do it. And you gave your maiden speech. Way! Woo! <laughs> maiden speech. Um, let's listen to the whole beautiful piece. Must we? Yes, yes, we must. <laughs> Anne McLaughlin. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, I was not supposed to be here. Every account of polling predictions said that Glasgow North East was the least winnable seat for the SNP. Yet here I am standing before you, not just as the MP for Glasgow North East, but as the one who broke the BBC swingometer. <laughs> Mr Speaker, I have the curious distinction of being able to present myself to the House as the biggest swinger in UK political <laughs> Lest you think I say this to be boastful, let me be clear. That 39.3% swing only happened because I had the most incredible campaign team behind me, some of whom are in the gallery today. A team that grew from the original Proven 57 team, so-called after we secured 57%, the second highest yes vote in Scotland, in the independence referendum last year. Mr Speaker, there are many pretty pockets in Glasgow North East, such as Hoganfield Loch, the tenements of Deniston, and many fine parks basking in sunshine one day of the year. (laughs) But I would not expect to see much of my constituency in a Visit Scotland brochure. And sadly today, residents of my constituency are never very far from a derelict building or waste ground. The best and worst example of both beauty and dereliction being the winter gardens in Springburn Park. It seems to me that the Scottish Parliament's Community Empowerment Act was written with my constituency in mind and I look forward to working with those communities as they empower themselves and transform the constituency. What we do have in abundance in my constituency is resilient people. From projects that have risen from the despair, like Love Milton, to Rikesi Poverty Action Group, St Rock's Football Club, who I should mention not only give free community space to all community groups in their area, but also gave me a free season ticket. (laughs) (laughs) To the Everlasting Arms Food Foundation... That's a declaration. (laughs) That was my declaration. To the Everlasting Arms Food Bank, based in the street in which I live, in Deniston, an African church feeding local people. And where we have little by way of splendid mountains, we have a gargantuan industrial heritage to be proud of. Springburn was once the greatest centre of railway manufacturing in the whole of Europe. And we have a political history that made Glasgow North East irresistible to someone like myself. William Wallace was captured in Rob Royston from where he was brought to Westminster Hall, tried found guilty of treason and hung, drawn and quartered. (laughs) It was not possible to quarter James Wilson, John Baird and Andrew Hardy, known collectively as the 1820 martyrs and now resting in Sight Hill Cemetery. A furious crowd made it impossible after they were hanged for leading the uprising for social justice and workers' rights in that year. Today I pay tribute to the memories of the 1820 martyrs who ought to be afforded the same courtesy and remembrance as the tall puddle martyrs rightly are, but don't, are not, possibly because their mantra, Scotland free or a desert, gives away the fact that they also campaigned for Scotland's independence. 
my, my, my uh, honourable friends on these benches are constantly inviting other members to visit their constituencies, so I would invite anyone who believes in what the 1820 martyrs fought for and is ashamed of the fate that befell them to visit their final resting place in Sighthill, and I will be delighted to accompany you. Despite having lived in Glasgow all of my adult life, I grew up in Greenock and Port Glasgow, shipbuilding towns, and I vividly remember second year at Port Glasgow High School. Every Monday morning, more and more of my friends would return from their weekends to report that their parents had lost their jobs. Mr Speaker, my adolescence was spent with Margaret Thatcher in charge. It was bad enough being a teenager without having to witness your town and its world-class industries fall apart at the seams. I will never forget the feeling of powerlessness in my area, the fear that my friends felt, the despair of their parents, and I remember hearing rhetoric from politicians in the media about people not wanting to work, about unemployment being a lifestyle choice, something disgracefully repeated in this House last week by the Chancellor in his attempts to justify his attacks on working people who have nothing. I knew, because I was there, that it was not a lifestyle choice, that in fact worklessness was sapping the life from people. I realised then that it was in somebody's interest for people with little to believe that people with less were a threat to them. I opened my eyes and they've been wide open ever since. At one point in school I was practically the only person in class whose parents were working because mine worked in a sadly growing industry. They were psychiatric nurses. And let us not pretend that this government's recent decisions will not lead to an increase in people suffering poor mental health, because it will. I suspect my predecessor, Willie Bain, had much the same opinion as me on that. He was, after all, a Labour member who campaigned over the six years in this House on youth unemployment and spoke up in support of people who found themselves long-term unemployed. And he was a strong advocate of the living wage. We no doubt shared much of our political aims. We just disagreed on how to get there, and I wish him well. I come from good political stock, Mr Speaker. My late father, Bobby McLaughlin, was an independence-supporting Republican who curiously served 12 years in the British Armed Forces. More canny than curious, as it turns out, when it was revealed that he only joined voluntarily because otherwise he'd have had to have done national service and he'd have got a third less in his wage packet. (laughs) (laughs) My late maternal grandparents, Stuart and Sarah Purdy, were founding members of Greenock SNP. He was a strong trade unionist and he led many a walkout. I know he would want me to send a message of support, as I do today, to the 70 striking homelessness caseworkers in Glasgow City Council, now in their 16th week. My paternal grandfather, John McLaughlin, was a labourer who was blacklisted for being a member of the Communist Party. (laughs) Unable to find work, he taught himself to read and write, and he spent his days fighting and writing for the rights of people who were unable to fight for themselves. My late brother Stephen dabbled in many left-wing and anarchist groups even whilst living in London. He often encouraged me to stand for Westminster, probably so he could see more of me. And my mother, thankfully still with us, simply taught me that I was as good as anybody else. No better, no better, no worse, but as good as. There is a lesson there for Scotland. Mr Speaker, I think I must have been destined to be a politician because I certainly didn't set out to be one. 
I wanted to be an actress, and I spent three years at the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. It was not the green benches of Westminster I was aiming for. It was those in the rover's return on Coronation Street. Still time, still time. Uh, I this. <laughs> Sometimes I still wonder which has got the better actors. <laughs> I often think of those 1820 martyrs, Mr Speaker, and I wonder what they would see today if they could rise up from their resting place in Sight Hill. They would see that 23.2% of the people in Glasgow North East exist on welfare benefits, more than twice the UK average, that we have the 10th highest rate of unemployment in the whole of the United Kingdom. They would see child poverty lying at a disgraceful 38% and in some areas even higher, again more than double the UK average. Do my constituents deserve that? They would see that most of the power to tackle that poverty still lies here in Westminster. They would have seen a Tory Chancellor last weekend twisting the knife deeper still into people already on their knees. And they would have seen the MP who represents those people sat in this chamber wondering what on earth she was doing here as the policies her country had roundly rejected were steamrollers through. Mr Speaker... I'm an adaptable person. I can fight my instinct to clap uh, if I have to, sitting here in the SNP quarter of... I, I can adjust to the rather strange animal noises. Um, I'm, sure, I'm sure one day I'll get used to my London perm. It's straight when I leave the house. As soon as I step out, it becomes a 1980s perm. And I can even cope just about with the occasional yaboo tit-for-tat-style politics in this House. But I will never adjust to hearing members cheer on a Chancellor as he announces taking away the lifelines of many of my constituents. Sink or swim. That was the message from last week's budget. I thought about my constituents watching from home. I thought about family members and friends I care deeply about. I imagined their pain, and I could not hold back the tears, knowing that I was powerless, almost powerless, to help them. And I was not the only one in those bench, these benches in tears. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, so I want people at home to know that when they feel pain, we on these benches are feeling that pain with them. I may no longer be experiencing what they experience, but I have been there, and I remember that. When they are in distress, we are distressed with them. Mr Speaker, I want them to know that we are on their side and that we will always fight for them in this place, tooth and nail. Mr Speaker, when I talk of my constituents, I mean every single one of them, wherever they came from, however they got here. And in Glasgow North East, we have a significant immigrant population, from Irish to Pakistani, from Indian and Sri Lankan to African. I'm delighted to represent such an ethnically diverse area. My own partner, Graham Campbell, is an English, Scottish, Jamaican socialist (laughs) 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 who led Africans for an independent Scotland during the referendum. Scotland's referendum engaged everyone. Last week, I sat through the summing up of the immigration minister in a debate in Westminster Hall. And in the 10 minutes allocated, not a single second was used to say anything positive about immigrants. In my time in this place, 
I will share many stories that will not just pay lip service to immigrants, but demonstrate exactly why it is so important for us to welcome people from other countries and other cultures. Today we are speaking about evil, and I want to share some of my thoughts, which, while it's not exactly evil, are not entirely positive either. (laughs) I've heard much from the benches opposite that we have our Scottish Parliament, and so why should England not have the same And I agree. But do the members opposite understand what we in Scotland had to do to get our parliament? We had to campaign for years. We had to persuade this place. We had to persuade the other place. And in both places, there was intense scrutiny of the legislation. There were amendments. There were (coughs) debates. And most importantly, we had to persuade those who we consider to be sovereign. And as my honourable friend from Glenrothes has just said, that is the people of Scotland. So how can it be in order for what some members seem to think is the equivalent in England to come about merely as a change to standing orders in this House? The entire Parliament, not to mention (laughs) the people of England, should have the right to consider and amend any legislation relating to it. Absolutely. Mr Speaker, I will be constructive in this place, but I won't do anything that goes against the interests of my constituents or the interests of Scotland. That said, my political interests are far-reaching. I'm delighted to be my party's spokesperson for civil liberties. I often say civil disobedience, but I don't really mean it. (laughs) I will work to support people whose lives have been affected by addictions and mental health problems. I will fight racism and any attack on equality. I will fight for the most vulnerable people in this world, including those incarcerated at Dungavel and Yarlswood. I will support calls for reparations for those countries who suffered most from our involvement in the slave trade, namely the Caribbean countries. And locally, I will offer practical support in two ways. My office will employ a funding officer who will support those voluntary groups providing lifelines for local people to access funding and a welfare rights specialist to defend people with no money from cruel cuts and shocking benefit sanctions. Mr Speaker, I pledge to devote my time in here to making a real and practical difference to real people. What a speech. Uh, Thank you. The the blogger Wee Ginger Doug said, another belter of a maiden speech from the wonderful Anne McLaughlin, the Sherpa Tenzing of Glasgow Glasgow North East, (laughs) who climbed the mountain of the largest Labour majority in the country and got to the top in style. Did he say that? Yep, yep, that was in his piece. Oh, that's lovely. Sherpa Tenzing. Um, Also, I had no idea that William Wallace had been captured in Rob Royston. Yeah, yeah, there's a... Every year in August, there's a thing to commemorate it. So there's a sort of um, stone thing up at um, up at Rob Royston. Tricky to find. I know where it is, but <laughs> I know lots of people find it tricky to find. But yeah, yeah, he was. That's where he was captured and taken to Westminster Hall. It was a great speech. I mean, how long did it take you to write it? Had you been writing it since you'd since you'd um, become an MP, or was it? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I I didn't know when I was making my maiden speech until the week before, and I, and what I tried to do was my diary was so full that I tried to write it on the Friday night before, and um, I think I'm a deadlines person with these sort of things. 
I just, I was doing bits and pieces here and there. I was more sort of mulling it over in my mind what I wanted to say, what sort of things were really important. And what I was trying to do was I was trying to write a four minute speech and then expand <laughs> it yeah. and then expand it and then expand it because some of my colleagues started off with 10 minute speeches and on the day they were told to cut it to four right. and I'm not good at that. Right. So I thought I would start off with a four minute speech, but it, it just never works out like that for me. The day they make me do a four minute speech will be, oh, it'll be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, how long do you think it took you to write? And once you knew it was going to be that week, was it was it sort of every night you came in, you were, you were working on it, or was it was it a last two days? If I added together? up all the ten minutes that I spent on actually writing it, maybe two hours or something, I pretty much knew the things that I wanted to talk about. Um, what was hardest was, you know, I couldn't mention every part of the constituency. And, and I wanted to because there are areas of this constituency that I think have possibly never had a mention in Westminster. Postal Park, Germiston, Black Hill, you know, areas like that. So I could I only mentioned a small number of community projects and communities. But I mean, I will. I'll get every single one of them <laughs> on the official report of Hansard and that parliament. But I think that was the toughest bit was cutting down the local stuff. Yeah. Um did you have any supporters down there with you? I think you made mention of people in the gallery, I think, Juna. Um, who, was, who was down with you? Okay, so I had my partner, Graham, and my sister, Christine, had come down from Manchester and met up with two of her old school friends um, who live in... One lives in Stirling, one lives in London. They came along. Um, who else? Uh, Patrick, one of the Glasgow North East campaigners, came along, brought a friend along with him. Um, Stephen Mullen, who is a historian at Glasgow University, he wrote the book It Was Me Us that links Glasgow to the slave trade and kind of uncovers our denial of our involvement. And uh, I worked with him last year on a project. He's become a really good pal. He was down in London. He came. Um, and there were a couple of women from the All African Women's Project that are fighting to uh, get women out of Yarlswood. A couple of them came along as well. So I had a, I had a, I had a, a wee group with me. Tories withdrew plans to amend legislation fox hunting after the SNP group in Westminster made it known that they would break with tradition and vote on the issue. Um, I don't know if you can talk about it, but how did that decision come about? Well, can I first of all just say two things? The first is, do-do-do, <laughs> and the second is, tally-ho, boys, um, which is what we've been saying every time the Tories complain about this. We've been shouting that across the chamber to them, very childish. Yeah. But, um, yeah, well, you know what? Um, we discussed it. I can't obviously you know, say yeah. who said mm -hmm. what, but we discussed it in the group meeting and it was a fantastic debate. In fact, it was one of the de best debates I've actually been involved mm -hmm. in in that parliament was in our internal group meeting. Uh, but what was really striking was that those who thought we shouldn't vote on it completely understood why those of us who thought we should vote on it mm -hmm. were saying so and vice versa. So it was really good natured and s many people changed their minds throughout the course of the discussion. It was really just an incredibly good discussion to be part of. Um, and to be honest, you know, if they're going to ride roughshod over the people of Scotland and force through things like the Scotland Bill without accepting any of the amendments of the 56 out of 59 MPs from Scotland, then, you know, I felt it was important that we just demonstrate to them that we can too can play that game. I think it was, um, I was also of another opinion that maybe initially, a few months ago when this was raised, that the SNP maybe shouldn't vote on it. 
Um, but for all those reasons you're saying, it just seemed like it seemed like the right thing to do at that point. It's funny how things can change, and yeah. it sounded like you had a good actual debate about yeah. it. It wasn't, it wasn't a diktat. No. It wasn't overly tactical. It was an actual proper debate, and that's and that was the output of it. I know. It was funny. I read that um, Nicola had come to the meeting and told us all what to do. It wasn't like that at all. Mm. I, I was really impressed with Nicola. Um, in, in that discussion she didn't tell us what to do at all uh, the other thing I should say though is that I am utterly opposed to fox hunting mm-hmm. any kind of blood sports I don't yeah. understand how you can make a sport out of hurting any animal mm-hmm. or human being um, but that wasn't really what, what the, the debate was about the debate was about you know we don't vote on English only issues mm-hmm. and we care about people as well so we, I'm aware that people will now come to us and say well you cared about the foxes, what about this vote that affects children in mm-hmm. England doesn't affect anyone else, we're going to have to find a way of dealing with that, mm-hmm. but anyway I'm glad we did what we did yep. With Harriet Harman trying to become a Thatcher Tribute Act, uh, the Labour <laughs> Party are currently looking for a new leader, you've tweeted before that you quite like Jeremy Corbyn um, what's it about him that you like? I don't quite like Jeremy Corbyn. I think he's fantastic. Now, if he wins and then he gets the Labour Party to get its act together and by some miracle the Scottish Labour gets its act together and then they start um, taking seats from us, I might not love him quite so much. (laughs) But um, no, to be honest, I mean, he's very, very principled. I mean, I know him because my partner knows him very well. um, But... He has always um, voted according to not just his conscience, because he's not trying to be an independent mm-hmm. MP. He's a Labour MP. He votes according to the principles of the Labour Party. Mm-hmm. He's not the one that's left the principles of the Labour Party behind. It's it's the majority mm-hmm. of Labour MPs in there, and it cannot be easy for him to do that. But he's a serious guy, you know. He's a. I'm I'm not having this thing where people are going, oh, he's not he's not to be taken seriously. He's very much to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. There's no flannel, there's no fluff. He understands people and he understands his politics and he's an incredibly impressive guy. He doesn't seem he doesn't seem like an empty suit. Which there it, seems to be a lot of in the Labour Party at the minute, a lot of shiny empty suits. He certainly isn't an empty suit. He's not even a complete suit. I saw a photograph of him tweeted this week where he was wearing a tie which he doesn't do terribly often and he'd tied it wrong it was quite funny um, no he's not an, he's not an empty suit at all yeah I, I feel I'm, I mean Liz Kendall I thought was absolutely dreadful I just don't understand why she's in the Labour Party but the rest of them their arguments are we've got to get votes therefore we've got to change our policies I mean I'm not saying that you don't ever respond to public opinion but you as a political party are supposed to provide leadership based on the founding principles of your party and the three of them have forgotten that he hasn't and um, he's, no, he's a quality guy Obviously from an SNP perspective like you're saying about future competition um, then things might change but it's always good to see public debate shift in the direction that you want it to shift away from the right to shift more into a centrist or you know, a, a more, more towards a left enemy um, rather than having a debate that just exists on the right. That's, the, that's, that's not yeah. a debate. And, and to be honest, I think the Labour Party would be doing themselves a big favour electorally if they did elect Jeremy Corbyn. And the reason is because I think they're very much mistaken when they say that, that you know, we need to get those Tory votes. They, they, the only way to get the votes that they've lost mm-hmm. is to provide an effective opposition, which means opposing the Tories, but they... You know, and I think they'd be surprised at the number of people who actually will come back to voting for them if they do oppose austerity, if they do oppose Trident. You know, but ugh, 
who knows what will happen there. <laughs> I would like to see the people of England having an effective opposition and a left-wing opposition. Mm-hmm. Anne. I have seen on Facebook that you are holding summer roadshows. Um, what I are we? Are we have, have you got a big, a big van and a sound system? And, and <laughs> what's your roadshow? Paul Coya DJing. <laughs> Paul Coya DJing. <laughs> I know, I'm showing my age. That's terrible. <laughs> so no. anyway, tell me about tell me about your roadshows. Well, the thing is, we called it a summer roadshow of surgeries, and it starts. What I'm doing is several days where, from nine o'clock in the morning right through till about eight o'clock at night, I'm doing surgeries across the constituency. Um, so next. Thursday, the 30th of July, I'm doing um, Blornock, Carntine, Sight Hill, Milton, Deniston, and then the following Tuesday, well, it's all on Facebook, but right across the constituency. I'm going to do about six of these days, um, but the Evening Times got quite interested in this summer roadshow idea and wanted to come along, and I realised that they weren't interested because they thought they were coming to surgeries. They thought they were coming to something a bit more interesting. <laughs> and obviously, yeah, yeah, Paul Coya DJing. And obviously they cannot sit in the, in the surgeries, so what I've done is, at the start of every surgery, I'm having half an hour where I'm saying to people, come along have a cup of coffee have a bit of cake I'll need to get somebody baking those cakes obviously <laughs> I'll not be doing that um, you wouldn't want me to do it and just have a chat so an informal thing just to meet local people in each of these areas and then a one hour surgery um, so right across the constituency so should people go to Facebook then your Facebook page to see the details of that yes my Facebook or my Twitter Facebook still is called Vote Anne McLaughlin for Glasgow North East <laughs> one day it will say Anne McLaughlin MP but in the meantime just look up Vote Anne McLaughlin for Glasgow North East and you'll get the list on there anyway that brings us to the end of another Alfresco this time episode of Parliamental um, if you'd like to get in touch with the show you can contact us on Twitter at Parliamental Pod on Facebook search for Parliamental and via email at parliamentalpodcast at gmail.com um, please subscribe to us on iTunes and leave a review if you like the show Anne and I will be returning soon with another episode, a different episode. We're in recess now, so we're going to yep. do something different next time, I think. We've got a lot of interesting things to cover over the summer recess, so, yep, do tune in. Cool. Stay tuned. Okay, bye, everyone. Bye.